Father, thank you for your word. Lord, your word is truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you, Lord, that as we seek you, as we as we study your word, we understand. We we have wisdom, understanding. We see we see truth. We know truth. We understand the 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 purpose and plans that you have for us. Father, I ask you to open the eyes of our understanding. Fill it with light. Fill us with with knowledge and understanding and Lord help us to to gain wisdom from it not just the stories themselves but Lord what you're trying to tell us behind it I thank you for it Father in uh, Jesus name Amen Yes So you uh, you did talk about the widow's oil? Yes. Thank you, Pastor Greg. <laughs> Pastor Greg says yes. Everybody else is. Where were we? Where were we? All right. Um, in looking over the stories tonight, everything from Second Kings four through Second Kings ten. Um, you know, it's funny to say it this way, but it's also true. Is to me, it's it's a whole listing of of uh, miracles. Now, obviously, that's kind of funny because the whole Bible's full of listing of miracles, but especially here because um, these are the kind of miracles that Jesus did. I mean, you, you, there's all there's a whole bunch of of uh, similarities. There's a whole bunch of parallels with the. Uh, um, the stories, the, the the stories that Elisha is going through that is recorded here. There's a whole lot of similarities with the kinds of miracles that Jesus did. Um, you know, the provision, the widow's oil, uh, the Shunammite son restored, the dead raised, um, uh, the feeding of a hundred in Second Kings four, uh, forty two through. Uh, 33. No, not 40. Yeah, 42 through, through 44. What did I just... How did I write that? What was it again? 42 through 44. Oh, I see what I did. There's a backside to this. I'm looking at the next page going, now that doesn't even line up. Yeah, so 42 through 44. Um, Naaman healed of leprosy. The axe head floats. Elisha traps the Arameans. Um, you know, da-da-da-da. It's all these miracles that happen that have have New Testament sounding stories. And so um, it's exciting to me because the, the the miracles that Jesus did were really nothing new. God had been doing them from the beginning. And the, the prerequisite wasn't uh, that Jesus came on the scene. It was that God was always doing these things through people, except... When Jesus came on the scene, he did them more. You know, there, there was more of them. There was daily miracles. There were, you know, we don't know what the time limit, you know, time uh, sequence was here. It doesn't give us dates and times of, of, of uh, Elisha's miracles. It, they probably, you know, more than likely they happened over years. You know, maybe once every, you know, three months, six months, who knows? Uh, maybe once a year. Maybe maybe these are this is twelve years worth of living, where he saw these miracles, where Jesus saw it daily, 
hundreds of people. People, you know, healed in mass. Uh, you know, Jesus uh, had what two people or three people raised from the dead. Um, he had the the uh, Lazarus, obviously. He had uh, the the funeral procession as it was going by. There was a person raised from the dead. Um, Yeah, wasn't it? Or was it? Was it Naaman's? Or not Naaman's? Wasn't it the the centurion servant? Yeah, that's right. So there was at least three that are recorded um, within three years. You know, so I mean, it's you know these these miracles are happening. And then what's really exciting to me is that it says that John says John records that Jesus says that you'll do even greater things that as believers we'll see even greater things. So the miracles aren't slowing down. They're they're speeding up. They're they're supposed to be speeding up. There's, you know, us as an individual maybe won't do as much or more than what Jesus did, but um, collectively as the body of Christ, we will we will see more miracles because of the sheer number of people so we should be seeing and hearing about these things. We should be experiencing these things on a regular basis. And so, um, let's start out with the Second uh, uh, Kings four, verse twenty-seven. And usually, you know, we read through it. At least when I do it, I, I read through a lot of it. We're not going to do that just for the sheer number. And I got to catch up because you know I mean, we got to get uh, back on schedule here uh, from Pastor Greg not finishing his. Uh, his job. So 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning with verse 27. Um, this is the woman who, little, the backstory is, um, she had been blessing Elisha with food. She, you know, every time he'd come through the area, he would stop at her house. She'd, she'd cook him supper. She would um, take care of him, this and that. And he wanted to bless her. So he asked Gehazi, he says, he says, what can we do for her? Does she need me to talk to the to the king? Does she need uh, this? Does she need that? And she said, "No, I don't need anything. Don't don't do anything." And Gehazi says, "Well, she doesn't have a son." And so Elisha calls her in, says, uh, "This time next year you'll have a child. You'll be you'll be holding a child in your arm." And she says to him, "She says, don't get my hopes up for all you know, lack of a." the exact quote, but she says, don't get my hopes up. Don't, don't do this to me. But one year later, she has a child. Child starts to grow, gets older and older. One day, though, runs, is, is out in the field with his father, says, my head, my head, his head, his head is hurting, and falls into a coma. Lingers throughout the day, dies in his mother's lap. And at that point... Something very interesting happens. Um, we actually need to go back. Go to uh, 2 Kings 4. Verse 20. It says, After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to the mother, to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon and then he died. Now, right here, you know, human being, you know, human uh, experience, you know, she would, you, know, you would think she would go into mourning. You'd think she'd fall apart. I mean, this is the son that was promised. This is the, 
the miracle from God, and now he's dead. I mean, and dead usually means dead. You know, that's the that is the um, that's the human experience. Somebody dies. That's all. The thing is, that's not how she reacts. Verse twenty one. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today, he asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. It's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Lead on. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she didn't even tell her husband that he died. She didn't even she didn't even announce to anybody. I mean, that's it was immediately she went for went started looking for the man of God. Now, obviously, the man of God is the prophet here, but you know she went looking for the presence of God. She looked she went looking for the anointing of God. She was not moved by what she saw. She you know um, it doesn't say it in so many words, but bottom line. She knew that that child was not was given to her miraculously. She believed God could 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 operate miraculously. So, before I go any, any you know before I go any further with this story, here's here's what I've been thinking a lot lately. This is just this is just me, and I and I preached a little bit about it on Sunday, um, but I've I've been meditating on this for about eleven months now since since the first of the year. Um, and it's the idea that we live in the world. We live according to the world system, for the most part. We are affected by gravity. Uh, we are affected by uh, time. We all get older. Um, we're affected by the, the things that are in the world, uh, whether good or bad. You know, there's good, there's good situations, there's bad situations. There's a world system that is at play that affects our lives in every way. There's a financial system. There's 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 uh, educational systems. There's there's governmental systems. There's uh, medical systems. There's all these all these things that are in play in the world that are dictating to us what reality is. And all of these things have very naturally occurring, naturally uh, observable results. You work, you get, you should get paid. You you get sick, you go to the doctor, they give you medicine, you get better. You there's these naturally occurring systems in the world, and then you have God, which turns everything upside down. And if it was just when Jesus was on the earth, you could go, wow, that was God because he was God in flesh. But when you look back and you see these stories, and we're going to hit a whole bunch of stories real quickly tonight, where you have the natural order of things and then you have God. And God turns the situation upside down. He turns the situation anti-natural, anti World, anti-observable. You know, here a boy dies, and the reaction of the mother is not to begin mourning, is not to lose hope, not not to give up, not to start planning a funeral. 
but her her first reaction is to tell her husband everything's okay no problem it's all good here and then going to seek God's answer why don't we do that more often if God did it then 4,000 years ago 5,000 years whatever whatever that time period was if God did it in Jesus' time where he took the natural systems of this world and said you know what I'm telling you you don't have to live this way and then 2,000 years ago Jesus came on the scene and by the power of the Holy Spirit started living that way every single day of his life and said the way that I'm living you can live and then we see the disciples who live that way every day of their life. I mean, they would walk past people who were sick, and if their shadow hit them, boom, they're healed. And they did it all the time. It wasn't, it wasn't out of the ordinary for, for the miraculous to happen. They were on the way to church one day, and this beggar says, you know, I, I, you know, I give, you know, put sticks out his hand to, to get you know, a, a handout. And they said, well, we don't have any silver or gold, but what we do have, we'll give you, heal them on the, heals them on the spot. Lame man. Who's the doctor, John? All his tests came back negative. Thank you, Jesus. Quarter to seven at night on a Wednesday night. Ethan had had this cough, and they, they figured it was uh, pertussis. pertussis, whooping cough, and went in the te- took the test, but it wasn't. It, it came back negative. Well, it continued to linger on. Somebody who was in the medical field heard about it and said, well, he's, he was in Eastern Europe this summer. You need to have him tested for tuberculosis. Well, immediately, much of what we're talking about here, I'm like, there ain't no way. There ain't no way. In the name of Jesus, he is healed. No, absolutely not. Well, then they said it could be all kinds of different things. You know, and Satan, Satan starts going, well, you know, it, I never did tell Deb because one of the things that, entered my mind as soon as you know when he says we're going to take a whole bunch of tests he called the he called the infectious specialist at children's the infectious disease specialist at he goes I I need to call this guy and and get his input first thing that popped in my head was leukemia really I mean Satan is I mean he's just he sucks thank you for the tape there is he sucks he was he wasn't after two months, his cough still was the same, and then he started spiking fevers, so it didn't act like whooping cough, so that's why they were all concerned, because he wasn't getting better. Anyway. So for the last two weeks, Satan's been telling me he's got leukemia. I'm like, no. <laughs> he does not. Okay. In, in Jesus' name, he, he will he will live and not He's die. had all his childhood shots, right? Because yeah. this is DPT shots. Oh, yeah. He had, he, had, but he had a booster last year, Jolene. But for pertussis, that vaccination, they say it's only effective 20% of the time. And it's one of the most dangerous vaccinations they give kids. Now, how much sense does that make? Hmm. So, and, you know, I mean, and the doctor said, he, he's testing negative for, for pertussis. I'm telling you that he's got pertussis. It's whooping cough. It's, he was past the contagious stage, and then they don't get a positive reading after that. So, so here's, a, here's another example. Here's what the system was telling us. But they did six different tests, and his white blood count isn't elevated at all. So. Okay, so it's not uh, mono either. No, or leukemia. So, 
Thank you, Jesus. I've been praying about this a lot. Why don't we live there? Why, why even as the church, do we live assuming that the system of this world is, is what we do until we can't do it anymore and then we have to turn to God? Why isn't our first thought, myself included, why isn't our first thought God's way is higher? God's way is better. I, I, don't, know, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I know that God is who he says he is. And we and we we immediately default to that, and so I believe God wants us to go there. You know, I mean, obviously He does because the Word says He does. You know that, or you know that He gives all these, for instances. But I'm starting to be more and more convinced that He really wants us to live there, and we may even have to live there in the in the near future, and that that uh, it may be the way we live. Because it's not just me who's saying that. I'm, I'm starting to hear this from other people now. They're saying God's been speaking to them about the, the system of the world, the world system versus God's system. And how do we do that? So we see the world system here. The, the kid dies, and the mother immediately goes to Elisha, Elijah, Elisha. Do you know how to tell? Which one was first, Elijah or Elisha? How do you know? It's alphabetical. <laughs> See, the way, the way I always remember is the, the Elisha, the S is second. So he was second. So that's my, that's my indicator. The whole alphabetical thing never even got to me. But you're right. It would be Elijah. See? There you go. All right, so when she reached the man of God, verse 27, she took hold of his feet, Gehazi, Gehazi came over to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. That's another thing that has been, has been, I've been noticing through the word. There are times when God doesn't tell you what's going on. And there's other times when he does tell you what's going on. Why? It sounds like he wants you to trust him in every situation. Mm-hmm. Whether it's hidden or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in one of the later stories, in verse, in uh, I think it's chapter 9, um, God tells Elisha that the king's messenger was coming way ahead of time and, and enough time to, to lock the door so that he couldn't get in because he knew that what he, what he wanted to, what the king wanted him to do was to kill Elisha and Elisha goes go shut the door go lock it I mean I don't know why I'm, I'm, I'm open I mean that's yeah I fully agree, agree with that but sometimes he tells us stuff. Sometimes he tells us way ahead about stuff. And other times, not not at all. You know, you have to learn learn about it just with everybody else. I think sometimes because he's the master choreographer, and he tells you, and he needs to tell you, so you'll be in right time with 
the event that's going to happen or come to pass. Think about, you know, Peter and Joppa, and then having to go see somebody to interpret what he saw in the sheet coming down. Paul, when he was on the road to Damascus. I mean, everything's so situated perfectly for everything to happen. Even Jesus' birth through the lineage of, you know, the road of David. Mm -hmm. It all had this perfect timing factor to it. And sometimes I think it's like, We'll, we'll read something and it won't even speak to our spirit because we're not ready. It's not yet our time. It's like when Jesus was going to do the first miracle. It's, no, it's not yet my time. And I think it's just a timing, timing, timing. Just because in his omnipotence and his omnipresence, it's like how can we humanly understand how precise, I mean, look at our planet living on a razor's edge. I mean, I think that's just my opinion, but I think that has something to do with we're all supposed to be where we're supposed to be when we're supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. and he's got that orchestrated somehow so so perfectly. I mean, you've seen this state before. It never happened. It blows your mind. So. <laughs> yes, he does. You know, when you see that, I mean, when I, you know, at least when I do, when I notice what, that how perfect all of those things are intertwined, for me, it just it settles me into, you know what? He really has this thing figured out. And I can trust him for the what I don't know. You know I can trust him for when I, I can't you know, even see how he's going to do it according to what I've seen him do before. You know, I've seen him supply all these different times, but this time I don't see how it's going to work. You know, or how he's going to fix this situation or whatever it is. And so... You know, he doesn't know. He doesn't. God, God uh, is concealing it from him, and uh, but he still is ready to do whatever God tells him to do. Verse twenty-eight. Did I ask you for a son, my lord? She said. Didn't I tell you? Don't raise my hopes. Elisha said to Gehazi, "Tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run." Don't greet anyone you meet. If anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. Now, she didn't say that, his, that the son had died, did she? But as soon as she started talking about it, he knew exactly what was going on. Interesting. But the child's mother said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and, got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him the boy is not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got up on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. The, the whole raising the dead thing is just freaky in and of itself. But then to do something like that, <laughs> you know, you know, I mean, he, he sought God. He sought God on how to do it, and God must have showed him this is how you're supposed to do it this time. And then he. I know we hear stories about what that boy was doing when he was dead, when he comes back to life. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. But maybe it wasn't heaven. Maybe it was at that time Abraham's bosom. Right. It would have been. Yep. But to uh, you know, and then he he the other thing, you know made me laugh. The other part is that he that he his body warmed, so he was just mostly dead. From. Uh, Exactly. He's not dead. He's just mostly dead. So, <laughs> so he starts to warm up, and then he stretches out again. The boy sneezes seven times and opens his eyes. You know, interesting. No idea. But there's there is uh, miracle number two in uh, 2 Kings 4. The widow's oil is the other one, the first one. 2 Kings 4.38, death in the pot. Now, I have to always watch myself when, I th- when I'm thinking about this story because it reminds me of my mother-in-law and her cooking. <laughs> Just kidding, Linda, if you ever listen to this. 2 Kings 4, 38, Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the region. While the company of the prophets was meeting with him, he said to his servant, Put on the large pot and cook some stew for these prophets. One of them went out into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild vine and picked as many of its gourds as the, go- as the garment could hold. When he returned, he put them into the pot of the stew, though no one knew what they were. The stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat, they cried out, Man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. Elisha said, Get some flour. He put it in the pot, serve it to the people to eat, and there was nothing harmful in the pot. He made like a soup to gravy. I was thinking to say, that, yeah, he made gravy. Now that I can eat. <laughs> yeah, as long as you got the gravy, you know. That's the, how did he know flour? You know, it's, it's these kind of stories. Like, uh, what was it? Isaac was working for Laban. Jacob. Jacob was working for Laban. And um, God showed him that he needed to, what was the, the take, a, take a branch and put the branch, you know, cut cut rings in the branch you know cut the cut the uh, uh, bark off of these branches lay the branches in the water and then only the certain kinds of sheep would mate each other what the heck is that all about you know uh, this put some put some uh, uh, flour in it now it's okay it was it was deadly before but flour I mean do we know anything about that flour changes anything you know, other than makes it gravy. Um, once again, it's, it's God's system versus human system. That doesn't make any sense. But apparently it does. Whether it makes natural sense somehow, or whether it's just plain supernatural. You know, I don't know. You think the flour might dilute the, uh, what's in the pot? I don't know. To make it, you know, acceptable? Yeah, I don't know. Some sort of chemical reaction yeah. or something to neutralize the yeah, yeah. yeah. I know, I wondered the same thing. You know, but it's once again one of those situations where 
I mean, almost every one of these miracles is either a miracle of provision or it's a restoration of some sort. And, um, but there's always the, the problem of the way it is, and then God has a different solution. And the solution is a miracle. You know, I mean, we haven't even got over to the axe head floating yet. I mean, that's a, that's just anti-natural law, you know. I'm convinced God wants us to live in the supernatural. And I don't mean the ooey-wooey, you know, let's, let's do something because it's cool kind of supernatural. But re- supernatural for survival states, you know, uh, survival sake, for, for living sake. With the option of that if we don't live supernaturally in God's power, we're not going to have a chance. We're not, we're not going to make it. Maybe he doesn't want us to be able to explain it away. Let's say, for example, he said, put yeast in there. We would equate that with the stories where you have leavened bread. Mm-hmm. You know, and by leavening the bread, this was something aside from, you know, the exodus from Egypt. you got to leave now. Don't, don't mm-hmm. go until, you know, this way this eliminates that. It's like, it's got to remain supernatural. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a cool thing about it. It's supposed to be mysterious. So we increase our faith. You know, if we could explain it all the way, mm-hmm. I mean, like the scientists tried to do today, and they, you know, I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. That some things we just don't know. And I, and I think that's that has a lot to do with it because we get over to the story about uh, Naaman, the the leprosy, and he says, you know, dip in the Jordan River. In my hometown, there's like two or three rivers. Why didn't I just you know, like why couldn't I dip there? This this trying to dictate to God. Well, if I if that's all I have to do, then I'll I'll do it this way. Well, do it my own self. Exactly. I'll do it. I'll I, I'll I'll rethink this, and God will do it. You know, if I do it my way kind of, you know, God's way, but then my twist on it, would Naaman have been healed? Well, no, the answer is no. You know, he wouldn't have. But, you know, we, we have to, we can't, we can't explain it away. You know, we can't, there is no um, formula for figuring God out. I think we get a, a, you know, a little bit of fit and glimpse of things like if seven is the number of completion, you know, his leprosy was gone after the seventh dip. This guy came, eyes opened after his seventh sneeze. You know, mm-hmm. you think, well, wow. You know, but I think sometimes you get hung up on, you know, numbers and different things. It's like seven, seven, seven. But it's all through the Bible. I mean, mm-hmm. seven mm-hmm. being a kind of a number of completion. Mm-hmm. It's cool too. I mean, march around this thing seven years, seven, <laughs> seven times. Mm-hmm. Oh, seven times seventy. Speaking of 70 times 7, I want to get a t-shirt and just say, I just reached 70 times 7. You better get out of the way. That, Good one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's a great idea. That came up when I was on the mission trip and something happened. And I went, I'm going to get a t-shirt that says, I just reached 70 times 7. Move it. All right. 2 Kings 4.42. Another uh, story of provision. Um a man came from Baal Shalishah, bringing the man of God twenty loaves of barley, barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men? His servant asked, but Elisha answered, Give it to the people to eat. For this is what the Lord says, 
They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of God. You know, uh, another example of God providing. You know, it takes me to the New Testament feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000. Um, God is not limited by what we understand. God is not limited by what we understand. We somehow have to get there. We have to, we have to get over into that, into that realm where if he says he can do something, even if it's impossible, then he, I believe he wants us to live there. I believe that he wants every breath, every uh, thought, every movement, everything that we do to live in that realm. That here's what I see. Here's the problem in front of me. But the answer is not the next, ne- the next logical step. The, the, the answer is not the next natural step. That the answer is God. And that he supersedes all of this. He, he, and not just supersedes it, it's miraculously way above the top. You know, here are, what was it, 10 loaves of bread? What was the? 20 loaves. 20 loaves. 20 loaves of bread. Didn't say how big they were. I saw the largest loaf of bread I've ever seen in my <laughs> life last week. We went into a Tesco in Romania, and I am not kidding you. The loaf of bread is this big around by about this tall. And, and Dan Lewis, I said, look, I've never... He goes, oh, yeah. He says, uh, Marta's sister had one like that at her house. A single woman has a loaf of bread this big. Eating up the 5,000. Yeah. I was thinking, okay, well, that explains it. You know? <laughs> but, well, was that... I mean, obviously, if he says, no, 100 people can't eat off of this, it's not that big. But, um, no, it was amazing. He, uh, Dan, on his Facebook page, has a, he had it sliced. He's holding up a, a, a slice of bread this big. You know, I mean, it's, I don't know, I don't know why they make them that big. But they're really cool looking. It's a big toaster. <laughs> it's a big toaster. Exactly. So, God is into the miraculous. He's into the miraculous provision. And he's in the mirac- into the miraculous provision not for... over-the-top situations, you know, we don't hear about, you know, we don't, they, it didn't preface this story by saying, and the people were all starving and God decided to provide for them this way, by, by multiplying the food. They just got together for, for a time. They just got together. They just, they were sitting down. The, when, when Jesus fed the 5,000, it wasn't because they were all starving, that there was a famine in the land. He did it because they were at church. They were all, they, he was preaching. And said, let's feed, let's feed the people. What do we have? Oh, five loaves and four fishes or whatever it was. How much? Two fishes. Oh, see, that's even easier, even, even harder now. But, so it's, it, it, wasn't that the, it wasn't this you know, miraculous provision because they were at their last wit's end. It was just like, okay, let's, it's, it's lunchtime. You know, having a church service out here and we, it goes later than we thought. You know what, we should feed everybody. What do we have in the... In the kitchen, well, we have a box of crackers and, uh, you know, 
Grape juice left from communion. Grape juice left from communion, exactly. (laughs) And then, you know, putting it out and it miraculously increasing. You know, by just by just believing by faith and just just acting upon it, um, it multiplies. That's the kind of God we serve. And I think he wants us to live there. I'm convinced he wants us to live there. And it's so out of the natural that if we are, if we've been in the world system and not thought this way long enough, we won't do it. We won't believe that he can do it and act upon it. We have to believe him. We have to, we have to start living in this realm because when we really have to someday, and we'll get to that, you know, the story of the, you know, the siege where they're eating each other. They have to, you know, yeah, God can, God can provide there too, but could he have provided? I mean, so far we've seen in, in, in chapter four, we've had the widow's oil where she was in need. She, she had, she had, uh, um, the widow had uh, bills to pay and no way to pay it. And so enough oil came in that she paid all the bills and lived on the rest. And, and God, wasn't, God wasn't worried about it. Elisha wasn't worried about it. He just says, how can I help you? What do you have in your house? And uh, she had in her house enough to provide for the miracle. She had, she had a little bit of oil and friends. And that's all it took. And the Shunammite son restored. You know, it doesn't say that, that, uh, that Elisha was nervous that the, that the child had died. It says that he immediately got up and, and he said, let's deal with this. He sent Gehazi on ahead. The death in the pot. Oh, you know, shoot, we just we spent all afternoon cooking this and now we can't eat it. No, he said, yeah, just put a little flour in it. Boom. Feeding the hundred. You know, hand it around and it'll get taken care of. God's not worried. God's not freaked out by the by the by the problem that we're in right now. There's an answer. It may not be the answer we think it is, but He has an answer. Second Kings five, beginning with verse eight. Naaman, leading up to this, Naaman is a ruler in. Where was he ruler? Syria. Where? Syria. Syria. And develops leprosy. There was a girl who was a, had been captured out of Israel, was a slave in his, in his uh, family, who said, and he must have been a decent guy, otherwise she would have just said, yeah, go ahead and suffer, you know. But she said, if, if only you could go to Israel, um, you could be healed there. So... Naaman goes to the king of Syria. The king of Syria, on his behalf, sends a letter to the king of Israel. The king of Israel freaks out because, well, what am I supposed to do about it? You know, so the king of Israel is not in this frame of mind. In his mind, it's like, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, how, you're trying to, he basically says, you're trying to pick a fight with me. You know, that you want me to, to you want him to come here and get healed? Well, I don't get it. And immediately, uh, verse 8 says, When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? You know, this, this feeling of distraught. 
I don't get it. What's the answer? I don't have a, you know, I don't have the answer. And he immediately goes into, you know, tearing of the robes is mourning, is is dis- total distraught. And so he's not thinking of how this can can ultimately be taken care of by the Spirit of God. Elisha is, but the king of Israel isn't. But we know he's not. A, he wasn't a godly man to begin with. And so says, why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a message to him, uh, a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. So he doesn't even go out and see this guy. He He doesn't go out to meet him. He just sends his messenger, or sends a messenger. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, he's, he's waiting for the theatrics. You know, he was waiting for the, he was waiting for the big show, you know, and, and God is saying, you know what? It isn't going to be a big show. What it is, is it's going to be obedience. You do what I told you to do. Which, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody, nobody wants to hear, you know, God tells you, well, I want you to do this crazy thing. I want you to do this weird thing. You know, I want you to go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan. And he says, you know, come on, I, we have really nice rivers back home. Why do I have to dip myself in that muddy old river? You know, I mean, open sores and go crawl in the muddy river. It reminds me of, uh, um, uh, reminds me of uh, Kenneth Hagin. Kenneth Hagin was talking, was, was teaching one time on the, along the line of, of uh, uh, obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And he told this story. He said he was preaching one time, and a guy in the middle of this of his sermon, the guy a guy gets up, walks across the room, touches the pillar that's holding up the roof, and then goes back over and sits back down in his seat. And he noticed him do that. He thought, I wonder, I wonder what that was all about. That was that was interesting. So the service went on. They had a, a healing line. You know, had people come forward for healing. And this guy never came forward. He just, you know, he just had got up in the middle of the service, walked over, touched the the pillar or the 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 whatever it was in the middle, came back, sat back in his chair. And so they went through the whole evening. People got healed. You know, people got prayed for. People got healed. So on and so forth. They closed out, and everybody was leaving. Well, he was at the back of the room, shaking hands with people as they were leaving, and this guy comes along in the line. And Kenneth Hagin thought, I'm going to find out what that was all about. So he asked the guy, he says, he says, can I ask you a question? He says, I saw you in the middle of the service stand up, walk over, touch the pillar, and then go back and sit in your seat. Can I ask you why you did that? And the guy smiled and he says, he says, I came here tonight for healing. I can't remember what the, the problem was, but he says, he says, I came tonight to, to, to be touched by God for, to, for healing. And he said, I was listening to your sermon, and in the middle of the sermon, God told me, if, I, if you stand up right now, walk over and touch that pillar and sit back down, you'll be healed. So I did it. 
And Kenneth Hagin says, and? <laughs> and the guy goes, I was instant to, instantly healed. Of what? Do you know? No, I don't know. I can't remember what it was. I don't remember. He, he said it in the, in the story. But it was the fact that it was obedience. And it was obedience to do something silly. You know, go wash yourself in the, in the, in the Jordan. Go, go touch that pillar. You know, be obedient to do what I tell you to do, whatever it is. And the problem is, would we do it? Would we throw the flower in the pot? Would we, you know, would we stretch ourselves out on a dead body? Ah. Just being real. Being obedient to, to step out by faith when God leads you to do something. Even though in, in the world system it doesn't make any sense. I really believe God wants us to get over into this God's system. Doing things God's way. Even when it doesn't make sense. I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Crazy thing. Don't dip yourself one time. Don't dip yourself three times. Don't dip yourself six times. Dip yourself seven times. I mean, after the first time you come out of the water, nothing. Second time. Couldn't God heal him the first time? Absolutely. It's all about obedience. It's all about going all the way through it. You know, he could have stopped after the sixth time and said, you know what, skip it. Like you were saying. You know, he could have gone around the, the city of, of Jericho six times and go, you know what, this is crazy. I'm done. That did kind of remind me of baptism. Baptismal. Where you baptize somebody and... Uh, tells you that your body is dead to the world. Mm-hmm. And so his leprosy was dead to the world. Amen. Yep. Amen. Yep. It's exactly right. So it's that it's that obedience all the way to the end. Second Kings five fifteen. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read this whole thing. It's when Gehazi Naaman wants to give. Elisha, he wants to pay him for the for the healing, and Elisha's like, no, I don't think so. I don't do this for money, which that's a lesson all on itself right there. Says I don't do this for money, and uh, well, let me let me bless you with this, you know, clothes, you know, this. No, I don't want anything. I'm not taking a thing from you. This God did this; He gets the credit. I'm not taking anything. He leaves Gehazi immediately runs after him and says, oh, by the way, that you know, my, my, my master said, you know, I will take a few sets of clothes. That'd be nice. That'd be really great. 
and Naaman's more than happy to give it to him. You know, I mean, Naaman, Naaman, you know, was uh, was a great guy. I mean, he, you know, he's very grateful. He thought it was awesome. Gehazi stores the, the clothes. He hides the clothes. He comes back. Elisha says, where you been? <laughs> and Gehazi, now here's the deal. Gehazi has hung around with Elijah for how long? He's seen how many times God tells him something. How many times God shows Elisha things that he didn't know before? Couldn't he tell that uh, Gehazi was lying? You know, I tell my kids all the time, God will tell me you're lying if you're lying. It's not a good thing. Don't do it. Um, You know, the whole Ananias and Sapphira thing. God is well able to tell what the truth is and to deal with it. Um, You know, the Spirit of God is not something to play with. You know, it's it's not a parlor trick. You know, it's not a, you know... There's power, and there's real power. Uh, you know, there's a guy who used to be amazingly used by God, amazingly used, and he prophesied over Deb and I uh, some things that are still come true today. I mean, just powerful man of God, powerful anointing on him. He now sells prophets, or he sell, now sells prophecies for two thousand dollars a prophecy. And I just look. Uh-huh. You know, this is somebody today. There's a guy today. Yeah, he's. If you go on the internet, I could find on the internet, and for for two thousand and thirteen dollars, he'll give you a prophecy for two thousand and thirteen. <laughs> every year, it just keeps getting better. Gets, yeah, keeps getting better. Next year will be two thousand fourteen. You can for two hundred two thousand fourteen dollars, you get his prophecy. Yep, but it's you know, <clears throat> it's kind of cool because how he didn't want to receive anything and you know I've been reading Daniel and uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's kid Belshazzar he wants to give Daniel a purple robe and a golden necklace and he says no I just don't want it mm-hmm. I mean it just mm-hmm. doesn't mean anything to him right you know and, and I think it's just their love for their God is the reward in itself is that hey I get to do this cool thing for you mm-hmm. that's what I want to be a part of mm-hmm. yeah it's I don't think it was about the material things for any of these guys that were doing Miracles for God. Yeah. If it ever becomes about the material benefit, you're done. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, you really are. It's if it's about the paycheck, you know. If it's about the, if it's about doing it so that you get something out of it, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're already too far. Is it, you know? Yeah. And then on the other side. Paul talks about that don't muzzle the ox you know if somebody is is serving they're worthy of their hire okay so somewhere in between there is the is the uh, is the balance I've got a question yes on this mother mind thing okay so say you got Joel Osteen okay for example Uh, so he's got uh, the largest church in the nation uh, Mm -hmm. as far as attendance goes should his salary be commensurate to that? I mean, should he make a hundred grand a year, hundred fifty thousand as a pastor, or should he? Or because to me, it seems like no matter how large the church is, I mean, a, a salary, you know, that, that that you sustain yourself 
comfortably, mm -hmm. you know, put away for retirement and all that stuff. Is that correct or is it, or is it how, I mean, are they paid, you think he's paid commensurate to, to whatever, the 11,000 members of the church or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I think, I, I think that there's all, I think it's individual. Uh, you look at uh, the guy who wrote uh, Purpose Driven Church. Yeah. yeah. He, he told his church, I don't, I don't need a salary anymore. Right. He wrote the books. He's, he's making more money off the books than he'll ever need. Mm -hmm. He says, I don't need a salary. He, he works for free. He doesn't take any money from the church. Billy Graham, I think his highest salary he ever received was like 70000 or 75000 he lived in a three-bedroom three rambler his whole life. You know, I mean, it's, it wasn't about the money for him. And then you have other guys who get paid really well. I mean, amazingly well. Yeah, they have private planes and mansions. And, 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 I, and I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, there is, to me, there's no, you know, there's certainly not, you have to be, a, you, you know, if you're going to work in the ministry and you're going to get paid, you, you, you need to be poor. So that you know keeps you humble. No. Uh, that's foolishness, you know, because the Bible doesn't doesn't teach that at all. It, it teaches that people are, you know, they're worthy of their hire. Sure. But on the other hand, if it's all about the money, you know, I'm not worried about what the government's going to think or what the 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 people in the church are going to think. I'm a little concerned about what God's going to think. Yeah. You know, that's that's between them and God. Um, you know, because Elisha was well taken care of. You know, wherever he would go, people would would give him food, would, would put him up for housing. You know, I don't know if they actually, you know, had wages back then, but people did bless him. And who knows? Maybe there were times when he did receive gifts. I don't know. Um, you know, I know the way we do it is 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 in, in line with what's called the ICC, the uh, Independent Compensation Committee. And, and I didn't ask for that person. No, I know. But no, no, I know that. Okay. But it, but we do it so that there's it passes the smell test. Mm -hmm. I don't set my own salary. No, but none of my staff sets my... Even our board doesn't set my salary. It's set by somebody completely different. I like that. Yeah. I like that because then it's not, it's not what you lobby for or what, you know... It's, it's being... It's it's being so up and up that you can sleep at night, you know. And I think that's what I think that's what Elisha is dealing with. He realized, you know, I don't need the I don't need six set of clothes, you know, of the finest whatever. I want above reproach. I want to be above reproach, exactly. You know, and who was it said? Oh, Abraham. Abraham is you know when they when he came back with the rich you know with the uh, Sodom and Gomorrahs and you know when the, when the Sodom and Gomorrah had been ransacked and he went and got his nephew went and got Lot well the kings wanted to pay him he's like no yeah. I'm not taking anything from you guys he could have he could have said you know and it, as a as a con you know the conquering victory he had every right to ask for whatever he wanted but he goes I'm not going to have you be telling people that you made me rich. God's the one who provides for me. So, yep. Your sins will find you out too. I remember, you know, when they in one of those battles where they killed all these people. I said, "Do not take the silver or the gold." Mm -hmm. And the yeah, guy Jer took Jericho. Guy put it in the saddlebag. Yep. 
reason for it. It's like your, like you're saying, your heart condition, ananias and saphria. I mean, mm -hmm. that's all it was. Their, it was their heart condition. That's what he was judging by. Yeah. I think that's what's cool. That's what he judges us on today is the condition of our heart. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're harder on ourselves because we're kind of judging us by our intent while the world judges us by our actions. But, you know, we wanted to do better. And we just ended up falling short. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's happened. This guy ran after, hey, you know, doing a little sneaky thing. He's going to find him. You know, he's mm -hmm. going to get caught with his pants down here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Probably the birth of shame, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so he does. He actually gets named as leprosy. That's how he ends his life is is with leprosy. Now, interestingly enough, later on you'll hear from Gehazi again. He's he's a uh, uh, with leprosy. He is a uh, advisor to one of the kings. You know, so he, his his career isn't over, but. Second Kings, Second Kings, Second Kings, six, verse four. Before we get to Second Kings, absolutely. You know, that um, Gehazi's sin didn't just affect him; it affected his descendants too. Yeah. Because it says that the leprosy will cling to you and your descendants forever. Mm-hmm. She thinks mom did. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, sin sin affects more than just yourself. And that's that is the sobering, the sobering part of this is that you know it doesn't your your sin will find you out, even if it's the hidden sins. And secondly, it doesn't affect just you; it's it's wide reaching. Yeah. And our obedience affects everybody around us too. Absolutely. Yes. Amen. Yeah, and, and the benefits of it, absolutely. It's it's it is a ripple effect in both directions. Speaking of the ripple effect, Second Kings six, chapter four, they were uh, a bunch of the prophets were together and they went and Elisha went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees as one of them was cutting down a tree the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my lord, he cried. It was, it was borrowed. I love that one. The man of God asked, where did it fall? Then he showed him the place. Elisha cut a stick, threw it there, and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. Complete disregard for the laws of nature in every way. But that's God. Jesus walked on water. Absolute disregard for, for the laws of nature. Jesus walked through walls. Yes, he had just risen from the dead. There was a whole spiritual thing going on there. But he said, feel my hands. He says, I have bones. I have, you know, he was, he was physical. He wasn't a spirit at that point. And he walked through walls. Yes? One of the, during the summer, one of the... Uh Answers in Genesis series that we went through. Um, excuse me. Talked about. Um, I can't explain it a lot, but the uh, it turned basically the physics on its on its uh, turned it upside down because an atom was supposed to only be shaped a certain way, something like that. 
they've actually discovered that there's like uh, just uh, has something to do with uh, like five rings or something. Now there's six or something, but it completely changed how Ooh. physics goes. What did this? The atom. Uh, oh, atom. atom. Not, I thought you meant Adam. The oh no no the the atom. The not, uh, I wish I should have thought more about it before I raised my hand here, but. Uh, I'll see if I can find it, but it was uh, or in one of the series that we went through, and it completely, uh, according to the laws of physics, it wasn't possible for this to be, but now they were able to see it, and an atom wasn't supposed to be able to be shaped like this or something. But hmm. it was, and, and because of the fall it was changed, or? No, they didn't say that. Um, Do you have the, the tape? The, the, yeah, it's in one of the series that we did here, so it's here at the church. I can uh, I can look back through. Look, it. Find it for me. I'd like to watch it. Because the guy it was actually it was, a, it was an Israeli, and he was uh, pretty much shunned from the uh, intellectual community because nobody believed him until he finally was able to get a definite proof. So hmm. I will I will find it. So. So, but but God is is very much into breaking the laws of nature. He does it all the time. You know, he he takes what is not and makes it possible, which takes me back to my one of my original thoughts, my original assertions, is I believe God wants us to live by a, a separate set of rules, a separate set of laws, and we don't. That's the thing. That's the problem. Is that the church doesn't take this new license to live differently and live that way. We could. Just because somebody dies doesn't mean they're dead. They're only mostly dead. Just because we lose something doesn't mean that it's not going to be found. You know, uh, a few years ago, I lost my wedding ring. And... I had lost it. I was really bummed. I mean, as, as anybody would be if they lost their wedding ring. I was really bummed. And I was, and I prayed and said, God, I have no idea where it is. No idea whatsoever. I didn't even notice it was gone for the first day, two days. Just and all of a sudden I looked down and it was gone. So I had no idea when I lost it. And I prayed and I said, God, I really want my, my wedding ring. And then, and then Deb got me another one. And so I was wearing a different one. And, and, the next spring, Ethan? Was it Ethan came in or Tally? I think it was Tally. Tally comes in. She goes, Daddy, I have a, I have a surprise for you. And I said, okay. She turns, comes around the corner, and she's holding my wedding ring. I said, where did you find that? She said, in the backyard on the other side of the play set, laying in a snow pile. Well, I hadn't been in the backyard since the fall, before it snowed. Once it starts snowing, they don't go in the backyard. There's no, you know, no reason. And it's laying behind the playset in a snow pile. So there's no way I had been back there. I don't know how it got there. I have no idea whatsoever. But she happened to be walking by, saw it, reached down, picked it up, and realized that it was my wedding ring. Brought it to me. Wow. I mean, just because something is missing doesn't mean it's not that it's gone. We can ask God, you know, I've heard of so many stories where, where people have said, you know what, God, I lost this. I really want it back. Bring it back. And it comes back. Crazy things. Food, provision, uh, answers to prayer. He wants us to live in the supernatural. 
He wants us to live in a, in a different system than the one we're living in. But we are so ingrained with the world system that it seems foolish to us. We have to break outside of that. You know, we have to move beyond what we can see and live in the world where he, where he wants us to live. Right now is a practice time. I believe that a day's coming when we're going to have to live that way. I mean, we have to live that way. We have to live by God's provision. We have to live by the miraculous. If we don't, we won't survive. And we have to start doing it now, though, because if we don't do it now on the little things and, and work, you know, be, be building our faith over time, we won't be ready for when we have to live that way. And whether it's this generation or the next, or even our grand, you know, our, our, our children's children, you know, who knows when that time will come. But if we start living that way now and teaching our children that way now, they'll be ready for it. We should have been doing it for 2,000 years, but we went the other direction. We've become more natural, more scientific, more, more uh, world system-minded than godlies. Godly system-minded. Yeah, this this election gave me a. <laughs> I got all hung up on it and was so involved. It just taught me a lesson. Hey, I don't know what verse is it where the government is on his shoulders. What verse is that? I don't know where that Isaiah. is. Isaiah. The government, yeah. You know, and then the marriage amendment. I mean, all that stuff. You can just get so overwhelmed that you just go crazy. But I mean, if you just let God know that he is in charge, that mm-hmm. none of that matters anymore. Mm-hmm. It really does. Yes. So, yeah. Yep. Exactly. All right. Second Kings six thirteen. <clears throat> Elisha is being chased by the Arameans. And I believe, and I did not specifically read this to know exactly, King of Aram was at war, verse 8, with Israel. Um, After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The mind of God said, warn to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So, uh, God was using uh, Elisha to spy on the enemy without even being there. God would just speak to him, say, here's what the enemy is doing, um, so on and so forth. And he was giving uh, the government, he was giving the, the king updates on what the enemies were doing without actually being there. So the king, the, uh, the Aramean king, finds out this is what's happening. He's like, He's like, it's like uh, the king of Israel is in my bedroom. Um, and uh, Is Aram the same thing as Syria? So when you say Aramean king, is that the same thing as a Syrian king? I do not know. Because in chapter 5 it said Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. Probably. I, do you know what I am? I think so because, yeah, Naaman was... He was the captain in the army of Syria, and then, and then, in my version, it's talking about the king of Syria. Okay, is that and, and is that and the same chapter, as Syria six again today? I, do not, I would imagine. I got, uh, I got a bunch of maps here. If anyone wants to look at Probably is. 
Okay. So the king orders his guys, his his people, verse uh, 13 of chapter 6, go find out where he is so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he went. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? And isn't that the, the thing that we usually say? You know, when we get faced with whatever the problem is, our, you know, uh, as human beings, our first answer is, oh no, what shall we do? The servant said, Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes as he had looked, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me. I can't help it. These are not the droids you are seeking. So just... just. Explain, okay. <laughs> Star, Star, Trek. Star, Star Wars. Star Wars. Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> When Obi Wan is, they go, they go into the city, and the Imperial Guard come and you know questions them. He goes, "These are not the droids you are seeking." Sorry, <laughs> I had to. I read that as like, "These are not the droids that you are seeking." This is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. So he le- he leads the army. Were they completely blind? No. I think they could see everything that was going on. I just think that their understanding was blocked. Their, that, that as they were you know, as they were going, they see Elisha. They should, they should recognize, recognize Elisha, but they don't know him. For whatever reason, they can't tell this is him. And he leads them directly into the, uh, where the king of Israel is is stationed right in the middle of Samaria leads them right in and so when they're when they finally realize where they are they're surrounded by the the army of Israel and so um, God traps the the people um, I've seen this before I've seen where where um, somebody God God either hinders their ability to understand or hinders their sight um, a friend of mine, had been friends for years. Uh, he doesn't live around here. He's actually from, from Iowa. and But he's a minister. And I went to one of his meetings. I went to where he was speaking. And in the middle of the meeting, he's preaching. And all of a sudden, he walks back to where I'm sitting. And he goes, excuse me, sir. He says, uh, he says the, the Lord wants to say something to you. And he starts prophesying to me. Well, I've known this guy for 10 or 15 years. It wasn't... You know, I wasn't. It was. I'm not a stranger to the man, but he starts prophesying to me, and he gets all done prophesying, goes back, finishes his sermon, and then goes on. After the service, he comes running across the room, and he goes, "John, that was the weirdest thing in the world." He says, "I had no idea who you were." He says, "After I got back up, you know, after the, after he got done prophesying, 
he walked back into the pulpit and he says he turned around and he went, "That's John." <laughs> He's like, and he says, he goes, "I had no idea who you were." He says, I, "It was as if I had never seen you before in my life." And I and but I believe he had to he had to be from that frame of mind to be able to say what he what he had to say because he had to say it from not from his mind but from from God's. So I've seen that before. Uh, have you ever heard of Brother Andrew? Brother Andrew was a, a man that in the 70s used to, to smuggle Bibles into Russia behind the Iron Curtain. And when they went, they would hide Bibles underneath the car seats or underneath in, in the tires, you know, and they would hide these Bibles. And then when they would cross the border, they would pray that God would, that, that God would cause them not to see these Bibles. And so they wouldn't find them. And they, they started getting more and more bold. To where they started not hiding them, he said. He said a number of the times that they crossed over the border, they loaded the car full of Bibles. They would fill up the whole trunk. They'd fill the back seat. They'd be st- stuffing because they could take more Bibles in that way. They were f- literally filling the car full of Bibles. They would come up to the to the checkpoint and they would pray, "God, please blind these these border guards." And the border guards would open up the trunk. They'd sh- they'd shuffle through the Bibles. And they would look at it, you know, and they'd shut the door. Yep, see you later, you know, and, they, and they'd pass through. But God would blind them to what, what he didn't want them to see. If he does that for that, why wouldn't he break the rules of, 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 the, of the laws of nature to get us to, you know, give us the ability to do whatever he wants us to do? We have to be aware of, of the ability of God to do what he wants us to do even if it needs supernatural means. Especially if it needs supernatural means. But oh, we need to take authority over this pestilence and uh, drive it out. All right. So he blinds the Arameans. Uh, 624. Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army, marched up and sieged and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five five shekels. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out, Help me, my lord, the king. The king replied, If the lord does not help you, where can I get get help for you? That That was his mindset, is I have no idea. He wasn't seeking God, but he's like, if God won't help you, what am I supposed to do? Abraham is dove dropping. dropping. Yeah. Whatever your seed pod was. Really? Dove dropping? Dove droppings for uh, five shekels. Yeesh. That's hungry. What did you say, Kelly? Uh, Abraham is, uh, is Mesopotamia. Uh, I was asking where is it at? It's Meso, Mesopotamia. Okay. So that's not Syria then? Uh, in here it says, uh, it says Aram Sobah. This again this is the Hebrew dictionary here. That's Syrians of Zobah. But it doesn't, uh, for just a straight. I'm sorry, yes, Syria. Alright. Look back just a little bit more. Yeah, Syria, sorry. Nope, it's alright, good. 
So yes, it's Syria. All right, so verse 28, he asked, what's the matter? She said, this woman gave, uh, said to me, give me your son, we can eat him today, and tomorrow we'll eat my son. So he cooked my son and ate him. The next day, gave up our son. I, I said to her, give up your son, so we may eat him, but she had hidden him. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. As he went along the wall, the people looked, and they saw that under that under his robes he had sackcloth on his body. He said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Now Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. The king sent a messenger ahead, but before he arrived, Elisha said to the elders, don't let don't you see how this murderer is sending someone to cut off my head look what the messenger look when the messenger comes shut the door hold it shut against him is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind while he was still talking to them the messenger came down to him the king said this disaster is from the lord why should i wait for the lord any longer that is the the epitome human pride that it's their fault it's the king's fault that this is happening in the first place and then and then he begins to blame god why should i wait on god who did why should i go by his rules why, you know if god isn't taking care of me and instead of repenting you would think he was repenting because it says that they saw a sackcloth under his clothes but he wasn't doing it openly God, God, was, God was moved by all kinds of people, whether they were good or evil, when they repented openly to him. But here the king is kind of doing it. You know, he's going through the motions, but he, to the outside world, he doesn't want people to see that he's humbling himself. He's, he has it hidden underneath his, his, his regular kingly robes. But openly he's saying, why should I wait for God any longer? I mean, talk about the epitome of pride. You know, the, you know that, you know, I'm so mad at God now, I don't care. God's going to have to prove himself to me. We still hear that today. And we still, we still see people uh, rebelling against God to that level. You know, bottom line though, <clears throat> without God, we have nothing. Absolutely nothing. Elisha replied, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says about this time tomorrow. A say of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two says of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer on whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? You will, the Elisha said, You will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. And going to the end of the story, when the provision when God provides the the army officer who the king was walking with was at the beginning of the crowd he was at the, the lead of the crowd and when the crowd saw the food they rushed over him and killed him they trampled him to death so he saw it with his own eyes but he never he never took took part in it. one of the coolest stories in the Bible is next verse or chapter 2 or second uh, Kings chapter 7 verse 3. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there. 
and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the enemy camp of the or the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, we die. I love the logic. I love, I love the thought pattern. Okay, we can stay here and die. We can go in there and die. We can go over there and die, but just maybe. One out of four chance. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, and if you think about it, even, even that is such a small chance because they all have leprosy. You know, hey, we're going to surrender to you. No, you're not coming in here. <laughs> Sorry, guys, it isn't going to happen. So they go. At dusk they got up and went into the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses a great and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys, they left the camp, camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had, had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents, and ate and drank. Then they took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. Smart guys. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and also hid them also. Then they said to each other, What are we doing? What, what we are doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went out and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, We went into the Aramean camp, and no one was there. Not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys, and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeeper shouted the news, and it was reported within the palace. The king got up in the night and said to his officers, Tell them, we already have one. <laughs> last, last reference of movies. That was, that was the, uh, uh, the Holy Grail, Monty Python. I told them we already got one. <laughs> Sorry, last one. What? Don't look at me in that tone of voice, young lady. The king got up in the middle of the night, up in the night, and said to his officers, "I tell you, I will tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They are now, they know we are starving, so they have left the camp to hide in the countryside, thinking they will surely come out, and then we will take them alive and get into the city." One of the officers answers, "Have some men take five of the horses that are left in the city." Their plight will be like that of all the Israelites left here. Yes, they will only be like all these Israelites who are doomed. Let us send them to find out what happened. Not a lot of hope. Not a lot of hope in the city. Um, so, they go in. They find all these riches. And it, was, it wasn't even like it was the thus saith the Lord. It was one of those situations where they realized, I have nothing else. We have nothing else to go on. It, it doesn't matter. We can stay here and, and perish. Or we can go over there. It's kind of like, reminds me of that. The story of Jonathan and his uh, servant in the war. He goes, 
you know, they, they've been having a standoff with the, was it the uh, Philistines? Yeah. And they've been having a standoff, and Jonathan goes, hey, let's go over and fight the Philistines, just you and me. Let's go over and fight the Philistines. You never know. God might move on our behalf. It's kind of that, hey, we have nothing left to try. Let's, let's, just, let's just believe God. Let's just try this. Let's go. And God met them. Um, same with these guys. You know, for whatever motivates people, God will move. It might be out of desperation. It might be out of last possible hope. But when we trust God, He'll do it. He'll come through. He'll, He'll, He will do what He what He said He will do. Elisha had prophesied it, and it happened exactly that way. There were more provisions in the Aramean camp than they could than they could take care of, and 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 the whole city ate well the next day. They weren't eating horse heads and or donkey heads and and, and bird droppings. Okay, that's bad. So. God can do it. He can make something out of nothing. I mean, for the Arameans just to leave everything. That's God. They never had to they never had to fight a minute. How much more today with each one of us with the spirit of God in us will God meet our needs? We have to have a, a different perspective on reality. Reality is not reality. God's reality is reality. And, and we have to come to that point where, where we believe that God is more than able to do the miraculous, more than able to, to uh, go to, to do what he said he will do. The last story that I have on here is 2 Kings 9. Um, there's a whole thing about the changing of power and so on and so forth. But I just want to point out that in 2 Kings 9, verse 30 through 37, is how Jezebel is killed. Jehu went to Jezreel. When Jezebel heard about it, she put on eye makeup, arranged her hair, and looked out the window. She thought, I'll, you know, I'll flatter my way through the situation. Because Jehu had been going around killing the household of, of uh, Ahab, he had been, there had been a, a power change. Jezebel knew that she was in trouble, but she thought, well, I'll, I'll use my good looks and my charm. As Jehu entered the gate, he asked, have you, she asked, have you come in peace? You Zimri, you murderer of your master. He looked up at the window and called out, who is on my side? Who? Two or three eunuchs looked down at him. Throw her down, Jehu said. So they threw her down, and some of her blood splattered the wall and the horses as they trampled her underfoot. Jehu went in, ate and drank. Take care of that cursed woman, he said, and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. But when they went out to bury her, they found nothing except her skull, her feet, and her hands. They went back and told Jehu, who said, This is the word of the Lord that he spoke through your servant Elijah the Tishbite on the plot of ground at, at Jezreel, Dogs will devour Jezebel's flesh. Jezebel's body will be like dung on the ground in the plot of Jezreel, so that no one will be able to say, This is Jezebel. So God will do what He says He'll do. He'll do all of it. Um, 2 Kings 10, you can read through that. It's just how uh, Ahab's family was killed, which fulfills the prophecy. 
um, about uh, that Ahab's family will be wiped out, that they will not, they will not survive uh, God. They won't. The, the whole family will be wiped out, and, and, and Jay who takes care of them. So, we got to the end of chapter ten. You caught us all up. Caught you up. No class next week. Uh, theoretically, we would have a ecumenical Thanksgiving service, but we're not going to this year. It has no one's been in touch with anybody, and it's probably just a good year to so stay home. Take your do something fun with the family. Go go early to grandma's house. Have the kids come early to your to your house if you're grandma. Mm. No, you don't. No, no, don't want them coming over. So. Anything. My one little question. Yeah. This is a weird question because you looked it up a few times. They can't understand. They refer to these eunuchs all the time. Mm-hmm. What is a eunuch? Is it a castrated person? Yeah. It, it was a. It was a man who served many times either the the queens or served the uh, like the harem. So they were they were either the protectors of the harems. Okay. Or they were, uh, you know, people who worked in their harems, whether you know, like cooks and, you know, they would they would castrate them so that they could not be promiscuous. Be promiscuous with the harem or the queen or whatever. Yeah. So they. Were, okay, I was wondering about that because I was wondering if that was the case. Why do they always refer to them as that? Yeah. So a certain units or a unit. Yep. They were they were men who were made that way so that they could serve the queen and the king didn't have to worry about them. Wow. He's a whole new perspective to serve his heart. Yes. I don't know if I want to go through that.